Welcome to Metro 30, the Metro Monthly's weekly conversation with the community. Welcome to the radio reading service. Uh, my name is Sean Posey. I'm a local author and historian and um, journalist, and I'm here today with Stacy Adger. Stacy is definitely a woman who wears many hats, but we're going to talk about a couple of them today, maybe a fedora and a Hamburg or something. I don't know. A <laughs> boater. <Sounds good>. <laughs> <laughs> um, Stacy is local historian slash genealogist slash um, probably a couple of different other things. Slash, but, slash, slash, slash. Yes. Right. But those are those are two of the primary things that we're going to be talking about with her today. Um, especially, probably some local history, most especially because we kind of share that same passion. Um, Stacy, so I know um, just to start with local history, um, I know that you're a, you know, you're a big person as far as researching and, and interest in it. And um, in the news recently, um, you uh, in the local news, you posted some photographs of the demolition of the Wee Motel, um, a very 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 old. Um, abandoned for some time now, motel out um, going towards the Sharon line on the east side of Youngstown on McGuffey Road. We Motel was part of something that probably a lot more people know about now, but probably something a lot of people still don't know very much about, uh, the Green Book. Some of you might remember the Green Book, uh, an actual movie with the name of that, uh, uh, with the title Green Book, won Best uh, Picture last year at the Oscars. But the, the story goes a lot deeper than that. And um, could you tell us a little bit about that, your interest in it and um, some, of the, some of the importance of it? Well, certainly. Um, my relatives on my paternal side of the family, and actually my maternal side, but more particularly my father's side of the family, came from the Deep South. They were in the Carolinas. Um, and then some of them were also in Georgia and Alabama and Mississippi. But in particular, the ones in South Carolina. And... The purpose of the Negro Motorist Green Book was to allow for African-Americans that were traveling from the south to the north or just traveling anywhere by car um, and then eventually expanded to trains and planes. But in particular, when it first started, the book was directed towards auto travel um, in the south and in some places in the north. There were places where you could not stay overnight if you were African-American. In fact, there were actual towns where you did not stay in those towns after dark, and those were called sundown towns, which is a separate entity, but you still needed to be aware of where some of those were. Um, there were hotels you couldn't stay at. There were places you couldn't stop to use a restroom. There were service stations that would not service your car in the event you needed gas. So I remember growing up and hearing, you know, random stories about um, you know, packing a basket and getting in a car and going, you know, having family members come up north or somebody going someplace. And I never understood why you had to pack all the food, why you had to carry a can of gasoline in your car in some cases. And that's what it was. Um, you just were not allowed to stop at certain places. So around 1936, Hugo, uh, Victor Hugo Green and George I. Smith, uh, Victor was a postal worker in New York. And through its contacts, they decided to come up with a book that would allow members of the Negro motorist, motoring public to get a copy of the book and find places that were listed that 
they knew that, you know, the person could stay at, they could uh, eat there and whatnot, and without any problems or issues. So that was the genesis of the Negro Motorist Green Book. It started in 1935, 36, and then it... um, ended right around 1965-66 with the passing of the civil rights legislation. So obviously there were places in Youngstown that were on the Green Book. Youngstown was not immune to, to segregation, obviously. Um, and there were obviously a bunch of motels, and one of them was this Wee Motel. Could you tell us a little bit about the Wee Motel that was just demolished? I should add that the Wee Motel was one of the very last, second to the last structure that was still standing that was formerly a, um, a business or residence or what have you that were that was listed in the actual green book itself. Exactly, the uh, We Motel. The proprietors at the one point when it first started were Wallace and Emmeline Mitchell, and it was over on uh, twenty seven oh five McGuffey. It offered uh, ten clean rooms, quiet modern units, and it had a coffee shop. So it was kind of cool. Um, and it, recently it was torn down. And like you said, that building has been vacant and has been in deteriorating condition for a number of years. Um, it was sad to see that it was going to be torn down. But realistically, you knew that unless somebody came in with a lot of money, it was not going to be saved. I tend to look at buildings and structures like those as a loss of a tree. Just as if you lose a person that has a lot of history, you lose some of the stories and the importance of places like those. A lot of people would have probably driven by that building and said, well, why hasn't that been destroyed? Um, then you, then I, it was funny because you had some of the younger generation, and I refer to that as like maybe their 20s, 30s, 40s, that were familiar with the building uh, when it was open, maybe not so much in their 20s. But when it was actual a hotel, it was a little bit, uh, you know, you just stopped in and did whatever you did in that hotel. Um, And so that was their reference. But my reference comes from those that are older in that that was a safe place where you could go, where people traveled to, and they had that little book with them. And it said that you could stay there without being harassed, without um, being turned away and whatnot. What was so cool on, you know, like you mentioned, there were several hotels and whatnot. Uh, there were also private homes where individuals would open up their, their homes or residences for people that are traveling. And they were also listed in the Negro Motorist Green Book as well. And um, obviously now the Wee Motel is gone, but there's still one site left that, yes. that, that was listed in the Green Book at one time. And it was up until recently uh, the home of the rescue mission, but it was originally the uh, the Negro Y or the Colored Y or the Black YMCA. Tell us a little bit about that. That I'm, I'm trying to remember the placard that's on the side of the building, but that particular location has a lot of history for me. Um, prior to that structure being built, I, I take it there was another like Y facility in that area or another structure. Um, on that site where my great-great-grandfather, who pastored Third Baptist Church, did a missionary service there. So there was some type of structure there. I think it was there. the uh, Booker T. Washington Settlement, Settlement House. House. Yeah, okay. Right. Which is going way, 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 way back. <laughs> I know, right? We're both showing our 
Well, we can't show our age because we weren't even here during that time. I don't think anyone alive would remember (laughs) it uh, at this point. But it's so cool because the the, uh, colored Y, as it's referred to, um, that was one of the places where, you know, people could go and stop if they were traveling. It offered uh, hotel accommodations and also a cafeteria where you could eat. That was another consideration. You just couldn't get food everywhere. And, you know, if you were traveling, you were stuck sitting in your car, sitting outdoors or something like that. So that's kind of cool. And over the years, there's been different people that have used that building for a number of different reasons. Currently, it's a home of the rescue mission um, until they complete their new facility and move uh, it, I, I have pictures of my dad and some of his classmates when they would participate in the various programs that the Y offered back in the day when they were young. Uh, so a lot of, lot of significance is in regards to me. So does, does anybody know what's going to become of that, that building after the uh, rescue mission moves out? No. And see, that is a concern. I know that there have been talks and discussions about different things and probably trying to find efforts and ways to restore it. Um, I know that they've had to shore up the the uh, one side, the front-facing side on 422. They've had to shore that because you've got some of the facade that's crumbling and whatnot. It is an old building. It is aging. It is deteriorating, and it has seen a lot of use over the years. So I'm hoping that there is some way of salvaging that building Uh, I would love to see it turned into some type of historical museum or something like that. It speaks to the lives of the people that live not only on that lower north side, the Belmont Avenue corridor, uh, but also the Monkey's Nest, which was literally right across the street. And all the contributions that those folks made to the city that we know as Youngstown now. Yeah, and for people who don't know what we're talking about, if you go out um, of the downtown um, down along what used to be West Federal Street, now they call 422, down along that area. That is where this, this building is that we were talking about it. And the Monkey's Nest neighborhood, which Stacy mentioned, doesn't exist at all in any shape or form now, but that yeah. was another kind of historically black neighborhood that was that was nearby. So there was um, you know, a lot of historical sites there at one time uh, that were important, not just um, locally, but also nationally. Um, Ella Fitzgerald, like when she got married in Youngstown in, I think, 1947, she listed her address in that area. Oh, isn't that um, crazy? Yeah. And that's actually where New Bethel Baptist Church got its genesis. Right, right, before they were forced to move and they tore the Monkey's Nest neighborhood down during yeah. urban renewal. Right, so that's um, that almost sounds like something that you would think that a national organization might be interested in, in looking at. You know, I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's. I think it'd be worthy of of something like that. Most you know, definitely, because it's it's uh, it's a genuine historical site, and uh, the um, some of the gentlemen who built it built it uh, or helped um, open the the Y, and some of the names are going to escape me now. I think John Chase uh, was one of them. Actually, corresponded with um, W. E. B. Du Bois about the um, opening the Y, about how to go about doing it and and how to make it work. Um, way back then. So, so there's another connection to national history. But also, among the many other things you've been involved with, you were recently involved in something. Um, it's not just something local, but it's tied to something going on nationally right now called the 1619 Project, usually is the 
is the title it goes by. If any of you read the New York Times, the New York Times is doing a whole year of stories on the anniversary 1619 to 2019. And for people who might be scratching their heads about that, what what overall does that uh, signify, those dates? And um, could you tell us a little bit about the project that you were involved with locally? Certainly. Uh, To begin with, 1619 is the recorded date of the arrival of the first 20-odd enslaved Africans from Angola onto the shores of the United States at, well, what would have been the, you know, the colonies. There wasn't the United States at the time. At Point Comfort in uh, Virginia. Um, That date and the fact that there were other Africans that were here in the United States uh, probably in the 14, 1500s, 1500s definitely in in different places, not in the United States, but in the continental part because you had some that were sent to South America and whatnot. That is generating a lot of dispute in regards to the actual significance of the 1619 date. But for me, the 20-some-odd holds a special significance. Um, I am into DNA testing. I've done DNA testing in an effort to try and trace my family's history. Um, The relatives, a couple of the relatives on my mother's maternal side have shown indications that we are related to the Tuckers. Um, There was a William and... I'm going to, the names escape me, Anthony, William, and it might have been Elizabeth, that were on that ship. The son, William, was born uh, shortly after arriving, after the couple arrived in the United States. So William was actually the first enslaved child born in what would later become the United States. And I have people that I share DNA with that have traced their ancestry back to that child. So that goes back, like I said, 16, 19, 16, 22, I think was when that child was actually born. So it, it's significant. It's significant because that started the long um, beginning of slavery and what would eventually become the United States. And, you know, it's it's crazy because in, 18, in 1808, you had the law outlawing the importation of African Americans into or of Africans into the United States, but we all know that that continued well up until the time of almost the Civil War. So, in spite of, le- of the legislation that said that you couldn't bring in new slaves, that you know continued to happen. There was a local program that was done recently in regards to. Um, the 1619 observance, and it was it was neat to see all the different history that was collected. You had the Deltas and their history project, which has been long standing and ongoing. Um, and the Deltas are uh, one of the sororities that has been actively involved in trying to preserve history and heritage in this area. Uh, there was it was inter. It was um, joined with the African-American Men's Wellness Walk, which was also that weekend. The uh, One of the fraternities had a golf outing that weekend, so that was brought, brought in under that umbrella. It was kind of reminiscent of the old um, 
Oh, help me. What was the, the name African of it? Cultural African Weekend. Cultural yeah. Weekend. Yes, yes, definitely. And it was a resurgence of that. Um, a lot of us spent a lot of time in regards to doing research for a magazine that is going to be coming out. Um, and then doing the history that is involved with putting on a presentation like that, doing the research and knowing the significance of it and everything. Um, that I, I'm hoping and hopeful that the information that was not included in the magazine will be made available in some way to the general public because there are so many, so many African-Americans in this Youngstown area and Warren as well um, and surrounding areas that contributed so much to this area that their stories are not known at all. Right. So all of that is wrapped up in this commemoration of the the 400 years. Correct. Right. Correct. So on on top of that, to, to move away just a little bit from um, local history, um, you're also a genealogist, and that's a big, big, big deal for you, right? And I know you're, you're involved with, there's a genealogy group, I think, too, at the library, right? Correct. I am the past president of the Mahoney County chapter of the Ohio uh, of the Mahoney County chapter of the Ohio Genealogical Society. I'm an active member in that one. I am an active member in the Trumbull County OGS chapter. Um, and then I sit, I hold membership for several others. Um, I'm also a trustee for the, uh, for the Ohio Genealogical Society, the state organization. And my area covers Ashtabula, Mahoning, Trumbull, Columbiana, Portage and Summit counties. So those are all the chapters that are under my purview. And, you know, I try and get to their different meetings and everything. Um, I, I'm really excited because there's a couple of things that are actually coming up in October, which is Family History Month. Um, you have the, oh goodness, the LDS Church. It's called the Youngstown Stake, even though it's physically located on Tibbetswick in. Liberty, which is actually Gerard. You try and figure out that hodgepodge. <laughs> um, I'm going to be doing a presentation dealing with the Underground Railroad and the area's involvement in it. So that's going to be kind of cool. Um, it's a day-long free seminar for anybody that wants to come and, you know, hear about history and everything, but more importantly, get hands-on help when and it comes when, to When will that be and where can people get more information about that? That is October 12th. And you can contact the LDS Church. It's the one that's on Tibbetswick Road. Um, I, I'm not certain how it's listed. I don't think it's listed as Youngstown Stake. But you can contact the uh, Mahoning County chapter of OGS, and I'll make sure that you get that information. Um, and then we're going to do something kind of cool. Um, the Dunkin' Donuts up on Churchill, Hubbard Road, and Belmont has given us permission to come in you know, for a couple of days, we got to get the dates established where we can, if you have a question about genealogy, where you can come in and ask us and we will give you some guidance and everything. We will not be able to do your complete family history because it doesn't work like it does on television where it takes like 10 minutes to get everything done. But we can at least help and assist and guide you in regards to getting started or answering questions or helping to deal with brick walls. Um, the Mahoney County chapter has volunteers that are usually at the main branch of the Mahoney County Courthouse every Thursday morning from 9 until about 1. That area is under construction, so we're not there as much now. 
Um, but every Thursday afternoon from 1 until 4, we have volunteers at the main branch of the public library on the second floor genealogy department. So if you have questions in regards to your family history and wanting to learn how to start the process, or if you've run into a brick wall, you know, a point that you can't get past, bring it down to the library one Thursday afternoon. Let us help you. And as you mentioned, genealogy, obviously, I think in the past, maybe the past decade, especially with the Internet and all these genealogy services that are out there now has become a really big deal. But people might who haven't um, actually gotten uh, uh, their hands dirty in the the (laughs) effort of trying to find out their family history might not realize, as you mentioned, that it's a little bit more difficult than they might have thought to actually go back generation after generation and trace your family back to know, however it is they came here to the new world. or You know, and sometimes it just varies. Um, there was a gentleman that I helped, one of the one of my coworkers, he works at uh, in a different department at Youngstown State. He came in and asked one question. And because somebody had already done the work and they had posted it online, I was able to get him from where he stood that day back to almost the early 1600s because of the work that somebody did. For others, it's a struggle because, you know, in in the case of African-Americans, you have that whole issue of slavery where the names were changed. Um, You were listed in the 1850 census as like a little tick mark. Unless you find who the owners were, you didn't know, you know, who owned your ancestors and everything. But then again, you have other places too, other ethnicities where, um, especially like Slovakia, Poland, where churches were destroyed, records were destroyed. So trying to recreate that by using other records and everything to try and trace your family's history has been a challenge for a lot of people as well. Right, and as, as we know from doing local history research, contrary to popular belief, not everything is on the Internet. And no. most <laughs> most records that you need, whether it be with genealogy or a local history or often physical records that you have to ferret out or determine their location or whatever. They're just not searchable in a Google database. No, no, definitely. And then one of the the things that I think a lot of people have misperceptions of is uh, I know that Dr. Henry Lewis Gates program is going to start up in October as well on, I do believe, PBS. And then I think uh, Who Do You Think You Are starts um, and they're switching back to NBC where they originally were. Um, those programs, you, you have the misperception of seeing somebody's story told in the space of an hour. Literally, there are thousands of hours of research that goes into the, each and every episode. So it, it's, it, takes some, it takes a lot of commitment and a lot of willingness to do. But yeah, yeah. So um, on top of all of this, what what else are you involved with currently? Any interesting projects on the horizon? Anything that's, that's caught your eye? Um, up in Trumbull County, there is going to be an effort to try and record the recollections and histories of African Americans. Uh, there's going to be a training session in September where we were looking for volunteers who would be willing to go and interview African Americans in Warren. Um, I'm also 
because of the affiliation with the Ohio Genealogical Society, I'm going to try and get some other volunteers who can also take part in that audio history program as well so that they can learn. Because like I said, every time you lose an elderly person, an older person, you lose a piece of history. And we need to start recording that and doing a better job of maintaining it. So this is basically an oral, oral history project for Trumbull County. Yes, and it's uh, being overseen by the Trumbull County uh, Historical Society, and I think uh, the Wien Foundation is playing a vital role in that, too, in regards to fund- funding and underwriting. And I should mention along similar lines, um, if people are interested in Mahoning County African-American oral history, there is a, um, a database uh, searchable on yes. online um, – that was done about 20 years ago with a number of prominent and um, just regular African-American citizens of Youngstown uh, about their oral histories and things they remembered. I can't, uh, Michael Beverly, I think, was the gentleman's yes, name. Yes, it was. If you Google, you know, African-American oral history, YSU, whatever, it's part of... Um, Mog it, Library. Yeah, it's part of the Mog Library database. Yes. And it should, it should, all should come up online. So hopefully they'll be able to do something like that in uh, Trumbull County. So, Stacy, thank you very much. Thanks for coming on and sharing all your experiences and all the... Um, all the things that you're involved with at the moment, and thank you to the radio reading service, and thank you to everyone out there who's listening. I appreciate it. Metro 30 is produced in collaboration with the Youngstown Radio Reading Service. Visit metromonthly.net for news, features, and the Valley's most complete calendar of events, and be sure to subscribe to the Metro 30 podcast.